You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechFan Podcast number 336. I'm Tim Robertson. I'm David Cohen. Uh, is cardboard really worth $70? <laughs> I was just reading the show notes from last week, and I just thought that was a great line of yours. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out what to put in there about the Nintendo cardboard thing, and when I was starting to write the show notes, literally two minutes after we got done recording, and I thought, what, how do I describe this? It's cardboard. It's 70 bucks. Um, seem seem crazy. Uh, that's a comment that I think I think here in Britain we would call pithy. Yes. Packed with expression yet succinct. Ah, <laughs> uh, so we are here in West Michigan, in the midst, and I do mean the midst. It's going to go until well, probably tomorrow. A massive snowstorm. Wow. It's uh, probably since I went to bed last night. It it started around midnight. Uh, and it's not big head of flakes. It's kind of, it's almost like a, a, a sprinkle, a rain, but it's uh-huh. snow. And if I had to guess, we've already got about four inches, three inches. That's one inch is enough to bring the entire UK to a halt. So uh, four inches. Well, I mean, they're saying we could get up to by by this time tomorrow. So uh, yeah. 10 a.m. Saturday, we could have up to about 14 inches. 14 inches. Okay, so I I presume that everyone is predicting the end of the world there, then. Nah, no biggie. By British, by British standards, that's what we'd be talking about. All the schools are closed simply because it's, you know, getting a bus safely around uh, to pick up kids in that much snow can be problematic. And they don't want kids standing out in a snowbank waiting for a school bus. So, no, one that just walk. No, you know. Yeah. School of choice. Good character building. That's what it is. So, uh, did you finally get your iPhone 8 Plus? Because you've been talking about it for a while and you still haven't got it yet. I, I am looking at it right now. Ooh. And I love it. What? I love it. You love it? It's, yeah. it's great. It, it really is. It has uh, met every single expectation I had. Obviously, I'm well read on the iPhone. Sure. Um <laughs> Let me just tell you a brief side story on that, though. <laughs> we ordered for a colleague of mine, because we, we bought 15 phones, um, we ordered a gold one, not a plus, a regular, because he said he wanted a gold one. So when it came, I give it to him, and he opens the box up excitedly, and he kind of looks at it, and I see his face fall. I said, what's the matter? And he said, well, it's not really gold. It's like pink. And I said... Well, yeah, that's the color they come in now. He said, well, I didn't want rose gold. I wanted gold. And anyway, somebody piped up and said, no, I've got a rose, rose gold uh, iPhone 6S and showed him. And the rose gold one is much pinker than the one he has now. Hmm. Yeah, we're, talking about, we're talking about the difference between kind of smoked salmon and regular salmon. Right. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, well, look, when you asked me for a gold one, didn't you go on the website and have a look at what color it was? <laughs> and his answer was, 
Yeah, and and I thought it looked a bit pink on the website in the picture, but then it said it was gold, so I assumed when it came it would actually be gold rather than the pink colour they showed me on the website. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was amusing, but that's that's people for you. But yeah, we um, I I really like the the eight plus. The oh, screen right. size works better for me with the state of my eyes nowadays. I still think um, so the regular eight probably would have been just as fine for me. But, yeah, well, I had yeah. I had a seven before, so I, I knew what the smaller screen looked like, and I knew I needed something a little bit bigger, and so that's working just well for me. Good. I love love the battery life. Yeah, that's fantastic. That yeah. coming. See, now you came from a seven. I came from a six plus. Yeah. Um, man, the the difference in in battery life is staggering. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm getting yeah. three times the battery life. That's you, right. Obviously, this one's brand new. My seven was yes. a year old, but the seven um, certainly, if I was working in London, it would be fully charged in the morning. Um, it by middle of the afternoon, it will be getting up down to about thirty odd percent. And if I certainly, if I was traveling on the train back home in the evening, back up to Manchester, I would definitely have to give it a charge before I left. Right. Otherwise, it would be pretty much dead by the time I got to Manchester. This, um, yeah, it, it's most of the, most of the day, day of, throughout the day, it's down about uh, 75, 70% by the end of the day. Um, and then if I, I use it heavily in the evening or I'm traveling or something like that, then it'll be down to about 40% before I go to bed. Um, but, you know, never, never down in the red. I mean, I was basically put mine in, in, you know, the battery saving mode every day towards the end of the day. Uh, and this I just don't have to do. Don't even okay, think about it's, it. It's brand new, but nevertheless, the, the bigger size means it's got a bigger battery and that makes a big difference. Huge. Yeah. That, yeah. I, you know, I, I, because I have a desk and yeah. a charger right there, I was used to plugging in my six plus and I got into that habit with the, uh, the eight plus. But what I found was the times that I would forget and it's two hours before I go home and it's going to be charging as I'm driving home anyways, but I would pull out and look at it and it's still at, you know, 79%. And I'm like, well, yeah. geez, oh, peace. This thing just lasts forever. Yeah. You basically you're in a position much as you are with the series three Apple watch, which also has epic battery life uh -huh. that if you forget to charge it overnight for any reason, then you're not faced with a dead device in the morning. You've got you've got something that's going to le last you at least halfway through the following day before you need to charge it. Yeah. So um, that's good. I'm also really liking wireless charging, which, um, as people who've listened to the show for a long time will remember, I dabbled with this a couple of years ago, and and had a, a charging case on my on one of my older phones. So I've used it before. So I know I knew that I already liked it. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, this is now built into the phone, and I love the fact that I can. You know, throw it on a pad, and um, if I need to pick it up to answer the phone or anything like that, um, there's not a cable hanging out of it, and uh, I really like that. I find that very convenient. How quickly is it charging on a pad? Um, I, it, it's it's much slower. I was I always love the fact that the iPhone Seven charged very quickly over a cable, um, and and yeah, with the pad, it keeps it topped up. Um, you really are looking about four or five hours to get a full charge on the pad. Because so significantly longer, yeah. Yeah. But if you're Where just sitting it? there, it's put on the pad. Well, this is the thing. You know, basically what I'll be doing is I'll, I'll is I'll have a charging pad um, in the office where I am, 
um, I'll have one at home downstairs and I have one by the bed. So basically, just any any time I'm there, I just drop it on the pad and it's charging. Um, I don't need to think about it. Uh, it's pretty easy to get it charging straight away. You don't. It's not very positional. Certainly not with the with the plus. So um, you know, it's it's just something you you do, and yet the device is. You know, you, you normally, you either put it in your pocket or you put it down the table. So if you're putting it down the table now, you can put it down the table somewhere where it charges. So that is, uh, that is nice. And of course, you know, let's, let's put our hands up here and say Android has been able to do this for years. So, sure. You know, people uh, have, a, a, outside the Apple ecosystem are well aware of the benefits of wireless charging. So it's good that Apple's playing catch up on this one. Absolutely. The biggest difference though, of course, is that it's not widely adopted on the Android side because it's just, it's just not because you look at the Android versus Apple or iPhone, and it's really not a fair comparison because you're looking at one manufacturer against 20. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and yet if the one adopts something now it's popular. So it just kind of tells you something about the industry. I mean, it's almost like, Apple adopting a standard kind of legitimizes it and makes it something that other manufacturers are prepared to invest in. Yes. Whereas um, with Android, because of, I guess, because of fragmentation, a lot of the Windows phones used to have wireless charging in, but obviously nobody ever bought any of those. So Correct. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a neat technology, and um, yeah, I, I really like it. So let's talk a little bit about getting your iPhone 8. You said you had some issues with Apple. I'm kind of curious what that's about. Well, yeah, you you noticed when I put this in the show notes, you said, oh, you've been talking about this for ages. How come you finally just got it now? So we had a bit of a disappointing customer experience with this. Uh, and I, I actually got pretty ticked off with Apple over this because this isn't a small order. This is not like two or three phones. This was for 15 phones. It was, so the total just for this order came to over ten thousand pounds sure so we're not talking about chump change here we're talking about the you know the price of a car so um i i kind of have some expectations of 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 that Uh, and the real issue for me is that we went through uh an apple store's business team and i was left with the impression that uh, the business team is like second string in, in terms of getting access to what it needs to do its job. It doesn't seem to be as well regarded inside the uh, the Apple infrastructure as the consumer side is. And I think that's wrong when you're placing big orders. I want it to be equivalent. I don't see why you should have to struggle just because you're, you're, you're doing a business order rather than doing a consumer order. We, we approached Apple before Christmas about this order. Uh, we got some quotes and I noticed back then that because we were going to finance the phones and Apple makes a big thing about, you know, finance, we've got various different finance options available and most businesses finance or lease stuff. They don't often drop cash on, on capital stuff like this. Um, we had, I noticed before Christmas that the getting the quotes back seemed to take like four days, four business days. And I didn't think that was great. But, you know, I kind of assumed it was the lead up to Christmas. Maybe, you know, everyone was kind of busy and that sort of thing. I didn't think too much of it. What I found out in the new year when we actually placed the order is, was if, if anything, it got worse. So I got all the paperwork filled in. We sent everything back to Apple. Two, three days go by. I've not heard anything. I then chased the guy. Um, and, oh, yes, you know, fine. I, I've, 
I've sent it off here and I'm waiting for response. And this became a theme all the way through. It's I'm waiting for response. So I said, well, you're waiting for response. I'm waiting for a response from you. Pick up the phone and speak to these people and get it sorted out. Okay, fine. So then I get paperwork back. I, I have stuff to sign. The company has to pay a deposit um, for some reason because we're a business. If you and I transfer money to each other, it happens instantly. For some reason with businesses, when banks transfer money for businesses, it takes three, four working days. I, I have no idea why that is, but that is the situation. So anyway, we finally get the deposit paid. We've signed up to the paperwork. I'm looking for the order to be placed. Nothing. Two, three days go by again. Nothing. So I ring the guy up again. Oh, yeah, we've been waiting for... You know, some internal stuff to be sourced out. I said, what are you talking about? We've paid the deposit. The deposit is cleared. Oh, well, we have to wait for the money to transfer from the leasing company to our account before we can raise the order. And at this point, I did kind of say to him, said, well, that's Apple's problem. That's not my problem. My perception is I have paid. Order has not come. Yeah. Um, and and I was frequently being told every time with these delays in the processing, it was oh, yeah, well, it will happen today. Uh, and if it doesn't happen this evening, they will definitely buy the following morning. And then I'd have to chase up because I won't see anything the following morning. So I'd chase up at lunchtime, and then i get a call back in the afternoon saying, oh, no, it's definitely going to be today. So finally, the order is placed. It has the wrong delivery address on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and this is on a Friday, and the guy's telling me, once the order goes in, the, the phones will ship you know, within 24 hours and they'll be available the next working day. So I panic because I see this order on a Friday and it's going to a, a postal address that basically is in London. It's, it's our registered office, but there's nobody there to actually receive equipment. So I'm worried that, you know, these phones are going to try, somebody's going to try and deliver it to an anonymous office in London. So, um, I immediately get them to correct that. And Monday comes around, no phones. Tuesday comes around, no phones. And I'm ringing every day, and I'm just getting stonewalled, effectively. So I then, that's when the shouting started. Shouting? <laughs> I, 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 I really, really tore the guy off a strip. I said, look, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what's going on. But you know what? I'm sick and tired of being fobbed off for, for you know, it may not be the biggest order you deal with, but it's not an insubstantial order. I said, get me somebody on the phone who can resolve this because all you're telling me is well i've sent an email and i'm waiting for a response i said that is not good enough i said it's been like this for weeks you know and i said i'm, I'm just t sick and tired and now you've got my money it feels like you don't care yeah oh no it's not like that and everything and the problem is the guy I was dealing with then he's because i was getting annoyed he then started to get very defensive and he started getting annoyed uh, at which point i said look i'm the customer here i've got a right to be angry yeah you don't get to be angry with me I said, this is all in your control. Eventually, I get somebody else who promised me it's, it's all been sorted. Yes, there was a problem when the guy changed the delivery address on the order. That meant that the, um, the billing address couldn't be changed, and he put the wrong billing address on as well. He should have put the leasing company instead of our name on it. And so every time the order tried to be processed, it was blocked uh, and cancelled. And then we try again, and we didn't realize that there was a problem in the system. I got all of this kind of baloney. It still took, yeah, about a week of intervention from more senior people. And I, I'm, at one point, I'm being told that, you know, the head of uh, Apple uh, business retail for the whole of Europe is personally involved in getting this order processed. I don't know whether that's true or not. But, you know, the, the whole experience, yeah, we, it took us four weeks to get 15 phones. That's ridiculous. 
it is ridiculous. It's just not good enough. And Apple have admitted to me it's not good enough. And I've had a lot of excuses and a lot of explanations, uh, a lot of uh, a kind of an opening of the kimono, kimono, uh, kimono of their internal processes, which um, don't appear to be fabulous. And apparently they've just changed leasing companies, which has made things worse. And, you know, I, I kind of expect them just to be able to resolve these things internally without involving me. Uh, and, um, you know, and anyway, for, uh, an offer was made of um, uh, potentially, you know, some credit or compensation or something like that. That was on Monday. And now here we are Friday. I've still not heard on that either. So go figure. Well, but, um, I wouldn't recommend Apple business to anybody looking to make a business order at this point with my experiences. Well, as someone who ran a Apple specialist, a couple locations and had a few different Look, I I know some people back then who were part of the Apple business team. Mm-hmm. And I know firsthand um, the way it was run. Now, this here is the U.S., that there is the U.K. Yeah. You would think there'd be some differences, but it doesn't sound like there is. The biggest difference or the biggest problem is that Apple gave up on business sales 25 years ago. And they've never taken it seriously because it pales in comparison to consumer sales, which quite honestly, in the rest of the computer industry is exactly the opposite. Yeah. If you have, uh, if, if you're at Dell <clears throat> and you have a business customer, they get the red carpet treatment. They, in the business unit, they'll send out replacements units before you even ship back the bad product. I mean, they will go, they will send someone to your business. They will, it's above and beyond. It's the opposite at Apple. They are, from what I remember, uh, they were a lot well liked in the stores, but they weren't taken seriously. Yeah. And internally at Apple, I don't think that they really care much about business. They don't, they don't get it. The culture at Apple isn't business focused. It's I, you know consumer what? I focused. I, I understand that. I appreciate that this is a, a, a niche part of the market for Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they, because they don't take it seriously. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I'm not making an excuse for Apple. Yeah. I, I, it's the opposite, yeah. actually. It's because they don't they don't have their shit together. Yeah. My my attitude to this is that's all fine. Focus on where you want to focus. But if you're going to do that. Don't offer exactly. a specialist business team yep. who are just going to let people down, you know, because I'd rather deal with the third party. The reason we didn't go to a third party is because I assumed naively, I guess, that I know full well that Apple is not great at dealing with its partners. So I thought if I go directly to Apple, I'll probably get a better experience than we're going through a partner. Because every time there's a problem with the partner, they're going to turn around and say, well, it's out of our hands. It's Apple's fault. Right. But but. Effectively, the business team at the at the store were treated like a partner. Yep. Now, at one point, I even said to him, I said, look, you, you know you have our money, you know you have our deposit, and you have our leasing agreement. I said, you have a whole store full of phones. Fulfill the order from your stock, yeah, and then when these ones come in, you sort out your stuff at the back end, right, you replace the stock. No, we can't. We're not allowed to do that. Right. And that's where it comes down to that Apple as a corporation – gives no authority to the business managers in the stores. And that's where the problem is. Yeah. 
And see, Apple doesn't seem to realize that if you treat your business customers like garbage, the people that work in those companies that are waiting for your phones or your Macs or whatever, they're less likely to become your consumer customer. Exactly. Because, well, Dell always treated us great as the business. You know, I was part of the team that got the, the Dells in, and we had a couple that came in DOA. And, wow, I was amazed the next morning when we walked in the door, the replacements were already there. There was a guy from Dell there to help, to yeah. apologize and to make it right. And that's the way you do it, you know. Uh, I, Comcast, I, 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 a, a notoriously horrible company. If I have a problem with my system, it could be days before it gets fixed, right? If I'm a yeah. business user, and I was for a while when I had the stu the podcast studio in downtown Battle Creek, yeah, uh, I I got a Comcast business account. I would call a special number, and it was picking. It, it there was no robot answering the phone. It was a person, hmm. and they were on it. They were yeah. dispatching someone that day. And I thought, wow, I wish they would do this on the consumer side. Boy, they wouldn't have this bad reputation. They they really know how to treat their business customers. Yeah. So. I, I, as I say, I, I completely and agree with you. Um, it was a terrible experience, and I probably would not would not go, want to go through that again. Because, I, and I said to the guy, I said, I have to wonder at, at this point what value having a business team is offering to me. Because it None. just seems to be like, well, I'd be far better to go to the bank, borrow the money, yeah, and turn up in the store and say, can you sell me 15 phones, please? Yeah. Or tell your employees, you know what, just go yeah. buy one and we'll reimburse you. Exactly. Yeah. Just pay cash. Don't sign a thing. Just just, just buy it for cash, an unlocked phone, and then next week we'll reimburse you. Yeah. And, yeah. you know... It, I think it's a bigger problem than most people at Apple would realize. And here's the thing, David. That's just one business, one small transaction. But how many more people know about this now because of the show? Yeah. 25 million? Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and not only, I think you made a very good point when you're talking about um, people who are waiting for those phones thinking, well, maybe I won't buy an Apple phone or an right. Apple device in future. I, I think that the whole, one of the principal reasons for the massive success of the iPhone is the fact that people loved it so much. They started taking it into their businesses where it was all Blackberry and, uh, and feature phones and stuff like that and said, no, we want these devices. Yeah, you need to support these devices. We are going to go out and buy them. We are going to bring them in. So you need to support these devices. And that has also fueled the Mac side as well. Well, and the iPad you, you can go matter. farther back than that with Apple. When Apple was a very young company, they put an enormous amount of uh, attention and emphasis on educational sales. And they made a lot of money through education, but they did something even more important. It's the students and the teachers that were using these machines and the educational setting were becoming fans of the product so they would buy for home use and that's now a customer that's going to be buying your product for the next 15 20 years and how many students are sitting in a class and it yeah. each one of them want an apple product so it, it grew the consumer side simply because they were in education and apple understood that they embraced it they put an emphasis on it and they're exactly the opposite with what's going on right now. Now, some people say, well, yeah, but look at their sales. Well, good point. The consumer sales is great. Here's the thing. 
the iPhone is still a hot product. I don't think there's any doubt about that. It may not always be the hot product. Yeah. And that's where I think Apple is failing. And not only that, their stock in trade is customer service. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that you can go into an Apple store with your phone and they will do something to try and help you. Yeah, it may not be, always be perfect, but you know what? You're a hell of a lot better off than you are with a, a Google Pixel phone, in which case you're SOL. Yeah, and if you manage to ring up somebody at Google, you manage to find a number to speak to them about. Yeah, they're going to struggle to deal deal with it. Apple Apple retail part of the success of the stores is the genius bar and the service they have, and the fact that a lot of times people go in there and they get their phone swapped out, or they get somebody who helps them to fix it, and all of that. That's all part of the Apple ecosystem experience. And yet here they are, kind of saying, "Oh yeah, and we do business as well. We have a dedicated business team." And then when you actually try and use it, you find that it's awful. Yep. It's nothing like the consumer experience at all. Well, they don't also don't reasons. have uh, an internal mechanism to go to businesses. That was the other aspect. That's how come I knew so much about the Apple business team was because yeah. they would get an order, say, for uh, Chicago Public Schools for 150 Macs. And part of the contract was that Apple would deploy these machines – uh, with pre-built images on location. But guess what? Apple doesn't do that. So Apple would come to us. Uh, Chicago would break up this contract and pay us directly, and we would send our engineers to actually do the physical work. And Apple would just make the sale. So it, 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 this is nothing new, unfortunately. This was going on 10 years ago. Yeah. And it sounds to me like it's only getting worse. Yep. And the next time, I mean, this time next year, we'll definitely be ordering more phones because half the company chose to stick with their existing ones for now. So those will need replacing. And as we get new starters, we're going to need to bring them in. And I won't be leasing them through this again. I will be trying to find somewhere else. And so, the the downside of that is, of course, Apple's still going to make the same amount of money. Well, this is the thing, you know, they they know people want the phones. Yep. So they're not really incentivized to fix this. Right. And that's where I say they're short-sighted in this whole. Yeah. Because they may not be the hotness next time. Yeah. So your internet connection sounds pretty good right now. Usually if you're at home, David, there's issues. What's going on? It's just, well, I'm not at home. I'm actually in, in the office. Today, oh, okay. So that's one of the reasons. But I do have much better internet at home. And I'm, I, I have become the family hero. Mm-hmm. Finally resolving this long-standing problem. So the background of this... Um, and this was a setup, by the way, for those listening, because I already knew. Of course, <laughs> of course yeah. Um, we moved into our current house uh, nearly three years ago now. New, new build. can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, I know. It's, it's flown by. So, yeah, nearly three years ago, and before we moved, we had uh, the, the technology used for fast internet here in the UK mainly is is called fibre to the cabinet. So there are telephony cabinets all around the streets of Britain, uh, and that's where the the um, telephone lines from the exchanges come in, and then they uh, are then sent out over local poles to houses. So what um, British Telecom have been doing to deliver fast internet to people is they, they put a fibre to that cabinet, and then they use uh, DSL to... Um, Break out that to the the short run to your house, and that which was fine ten years ago. 
yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. You can get about 70, 80 megabits maximum on that, which for most people is fine. And that's what we had in our old house, and it was great. When we moved here, they weren't able to offer this to our new house because they haven't they've enabled all the cabinets on the street that runs past the um the housing development we live on except for the one nearest to us because when they were doing the fiber runs five ten years ago uh the housing the housing development wasn't there it was only just being built and so somebody decides to save some money and not enable that cabinet and now they won't come back and do it so um we we were only able to get i think the best we used to get was about 5 megabits download that's terrible on dsl which is which sounds you i mean you know we started with 512 512k on dsl and it was amazing back then the problem with dsl nowadays is is dsl is shared with all the people around you yeah it's a wan uh, yeah so what happens is actually that 5 megabit is fine during the day but in the evening when people start using it and of course everyone's streaming TV and stuff like that now, it drops through the floor to the point that it was pretty barely usable. We would have evenings when if we tried to stream something it would be glitchy or it would drop out and certainly nobody else could use the internet at the same time um, and, and you and I have found this when I podcast from home is that you know we it's 3 in the afternoon when we podcast here uh, and um that is when kids are coming home from school and, uh, you know, if, if somebody's cooking dinner, they might be on the internet a bit more and they might turn some streaming on or something like that. So really it starts to slow down from the middle of the afternoon uh, and then falls through the floor by the early evening and then it picks back up later on. So this was, well, my, my family find this fairly intolerable. Uh, fortunately for me, you know, I'm, I'm going to places where I work where I have much better internet, so I kind of manage with it. But it was pretty bad at home. So we have now switched from that. We were unable – I've tried – you remember I tried a, a direct wireless service a couple of years ago, and yeah. they weren't able to get it working. So um, I saw a deal on a 4G home router from a, a provider here in the UK called EE uh, that basically, yeah, it's a – just a little box and you put a sim in it and it's it's a wi-fi router but instead of going out over over the um the broadband cable connection it just connects to the nearest 4g cell uh, and i'm getting 35 megabits through wow. that consistently that's awesome now fortunately i'm up on the top of a hill yeah, and then so you got a good I've, line I put this thing in the top of the house rather than the bottom um, and it also has connections on for a bigger aerial if I need to as well. So I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to keep that sort of speed. It's also got 10 megabit upload, which is phenomenal compared yes. to what I had before. Yep. So um, an awful lot better, and everyone's very happy in the house. Everyone feels like they've been – it's like they've been released from solitary confinement, and all of a sudden they're surrounded by light, airy, um, foamy Wi-Fi that – responds to everything they want to do and the nice thing now is of course that you could share the internet at home that's great but yeah. now the kids are going to need things to do on the internet so david if you're looking for to save a little bit more money you can go to maxsales.com and pick up a pre-owned ipad air with retina display 32 gigabytes starting at 219 in very good condition or if you want one in excellent condition $249. Of course, OWC is our sponsor here on TechFan, and their website is maxsales.com. I'll put a link to these uh, refurbished, because let's be honest, David, we both have newer iPads. They're great, but, you know, 
Cole sitting not too far away from me right now is on a um, iPad 3. Yeah. So for 219 bucks, I could actually upgrade him to an iPad Air with Retina display. It would be a huge improvement for him. It would. And, and the, the real bargain of this is that the current iPad, the cheap iPad, the entry-level iPad that Apple sells you new today, is effectively the same as the iPad Air. Exactly. So, But it um, costs a lot more. Yeah, it's, what was it three twenty nine something like that? Yeah, yeah, hundred dollars so, more. Yeah, so I could save money, and uh, the listeners out there can make family members happy. <laughs> and and I have to say, as somebody who's bought a lot of refurbished stuff, refurbished is absolutely the secret source of getting <clears throat> decent tech at a good price. Well, the Mac I, I'm using right now is refurbished from OWC. Yeah, I've I've bought refurbished stuff from. Very often, when you buy something refurbished from a retailer, they won't have refurbished it. It will have been refurbished by the manufacturer. And if it's refurbished by the manufacturer, it is literally as good as new. Most of them are not actually refurbished by the manufacturers. There's refurb factories out there. I worked with right. one in Chicago, and that's what they did. Uh, and their standard for refurbishing for the manufacturer is extremely high. Yeah. So, and it's hands-on. It's not putting in a machine or just plugging it in and some guy with Windex making it look pretty again. It's a true refurbish. I mean, they yeah, go through if it, everything. If it's got damage, they will replace it with official manufacturer parts. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, there we got a couple more stories, but I don't know. I the, the only thing that's kind of interesting to me right now, David, is uh well, we got our wiki trolling thing coming up. Yep. I think that'll be fun. Um, but Elon Musk explained what's going on with SpaceX. They just had a big launch. And I think most people, honestly, it made the news, but I don't think most people really grasp why this is something different and special. Yeah, this, this was, for me, this was huge. I've, I've been following SpaceX for a while and everybody knows. And, and I think part of the problem is that, you know, Elon Musk, he's a bit of a showman. Um, you know, he launched in this launch, he launched a car into space. Everyone's going, what the hell? Right. <laughs> um, what, what on earth did you do that? And he likes to do flashy publicity style things. But I, I think the problem in this case is that led to kind of light reporting. And I think that failed to underscore how, how huge this, this achievement was. First of all, you know, SpaceX and, and let's give, uh, equal respect to uh, Jeff Bezos's company, the guy who runs Amazon, um, uh, what they call Blue Origin. They've been developing these reusable rockets, and the technology associated with them is astonishing. They, uh, instead of dumping these things into the atmosphere or just dumping them into the sea after they finish with them, they bring them back down. Yes. <laughs> they let these things fall down, and then just before they hit the ground, they fire the rocket engines again, which restarting a rocket engine that's just gone up into space, yeah, is not like turning on the engine in a car. No. Rocket engines traditionally aren't designed to do that. So the fact they can do this reliably is amazing. And then, yeah, this these things drop out of space, out of space, and then land exactly where they want them. And most of the time, now they've got it technology down, don't blow up. Yeah, it that in itself is astonishing. And to see the video of the Falcon Heavy launch from the other day, um, in fact, it's actually the picture here on my desktop of my Mac, um, the two 
boosters landing side by side synchronized just right next to the pad where they launch from is something else but the thing there's there's a couple of things that are amazing about falcon heavy first of all it's it's capable of lifting half the payload of the saturn V, which is the biggest rocket that humankind has ever developed yep yeah saturn V was developed by nasa over the space of about seven or eight years yeah at a cost of billions of dollars billions of 60s dollars so even more nowadays yeah spacex has developed the uh falcon heavy so that's something that's capable of lifting half that payload but that's still a really big payload and that's why he sent the car up to show how much stuff he could lift um they've done that in about five years and they've done it at a tenth of the cost of what nasa think they could have developed the same rocket for you know it and and technically taking two or three of their smaller rockets and sticking them together to make a bigger one yeah sounds simple incredibly challenging these things are they're very light they're very flexible and getting all of those things together so that they don't blow themselves up on the way up right is this is 27 massive engines. achievement it's it's kind of like the, the difficult imagine if you could if you could jump 20 feet in this into the air yeah, and you were able to uh, balance a paint can on top of a broom when you did that, right? That is kind of the the level of skill, you know, kind of scaled up is is what you're trying to do when you send a rocket into orbit. Yeah, you've got something really powerfully pushing from underneath, and you're balancing something on top, and you don't need it to wobble or break or twist or anything like that. And then scale that up to twenty seven of those. It's it's it is astonishing. Yep. Yep. And thanks to that, we now have a um, dummy in a spacesuit sat in a car on, on its way out to the orbit of Mars. It's crazy. You know, um, I, 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 I've been joking with people during the week. You know, imagine five million years in the future, Earth has been and gone. We're either reduced to a glowing ball of, ball of um, radioactive dust because of Donald Trump and North Korea or um or we've just left we've just kind of gone into space and moved on to other things and aliens come floating through the solar system kind of having a look around <laughs> yeah and then they're gonna find a tesla roadster with a dude sat in it <laughs> floating around in orbit and they're gonna try and figure out what on earth we were at when we decided that was a good thing to do they're, they're gonna think that it was we we worshipped with some kind of a strange deity or something <laughs> of course because that's what archaeologists always say, isn't yeah. it? They either say this was a this was a worship rite, or they say it was a funeral rite. Yeah, it could have just been a prankster. They don't know. <laughs> exactly. Someone messed that around. <laughs> so let's jump into our uh, wiki trolling. Um, the subject this week is the Amazon Kindle. Now, quite often, David, I, I think that this product is overlooked um, unfairly. When it comes to a product that comes out that moves an entire industry forward in not just a significant way, but a pioneering way. Mm-hmm. And we kind of take the Kindle for granted, I think. And let's be honest, there's been other companies that came out with ebook readers, and yeah. for the most part, they've all completely failed. Yeah, when I it, had. I had um, you had that Sony one, didn't you? 
I had the Sony one, which basically was effectively exactly the same idea as the Kindle. Yeah. But they couldn't they couldn't make it work. They couldn't scale it up. Before that, I even had um, there was one called the Rocket eBook that yep. was like an LCD yep. backlit screen that I used as well. Um, but I think I think the success of the Kindle underscores that it, like many things in technology, it's not just about the technology and the device. It's about the, the ecosystem. infrastructure. Yeah, you've got to have yep. both things. Yeah, and, and when we talk about the, the Amazon Kindle here, we are talking about the hardware, but I, I, I don't want to overlook the software that is Kindle because it's as important, if not more important, than the physical hardware itself. I would say it's probably more important. But the uh, original one was launched November 19th, 2007, so a little over 10 years ago. And Not, not the most attractive product you've ever no, seen. No, it, it, was, it was pretty hideous. Um, <laughs> and it launched for $399. And remember, this thing had um, nothing on it. I mean... <laughs> You you bought a four hundred dollar nothing that Amazon was hoping they were betting on that you would then use it to download and read books. Now the original one actually had free three G connectivity. Now you couldn't browse the internet with it. It was designed just to talk to Amazon's back end to download on the go ebooks. Yeah. But here's the thing, it worked and it worked extremely well. Uh, for yeah. what people wanted in an ebook reader, this was a great answer, and it and it just worked. And, and you know, and it, I don't think anybody could could have predicted at the time that this one device would completely disrupt the publishing industry to the to the extent that it has. I yeah, I I was pretty mm-hmm. sure there was a huge pent up demand for it. I remember with the Sony that people, you know, if I was on vacation, like obviously I do a lot of cruises, people were always coming up to me when I was sat there reading it going, oh, is that an electronic book reader? And they were fascinated by it. Yeah. And and so to me, it wasn't a surprise that the Kindle sold out so quickly and was sold out for so long because I knew that a lot of people were interested in that. We've all been in that situation if you're a book lover where you go away for a couple of weeks and, you, you know, how many books can I take? You're trying to balance up between how how much it's going to, cost you to carry these books or to take them with you um versus the uh, you know the, the horror of running out and, re- and having to buy some trashy book from the local bookstore um, and remember this when this came out it, there was no guarantee that the books that you're going to want are going to even have a, a digital copy because they didn't back then yeah, I mean, that that was the power of Amazon is that they were very quickly able to scale up and make sure that not only were they able to offer plenty of books, but because they knew what people were buying through the regular store, they were able to offer the books that people wanted. And I think that's part of the genius of this is that that um, those metrics allowed them to make sure that they they promoted the electronic books that people wanted to buy. Um, so, you know, they were really able to serve that market very well. And that was part of the, the clever idea of paying for the, the low-end 3G in there as well, so that people always had access to an integrated bookstore on the device, so the, which was, you know, something that, for instance, my Sony didn't have. Right. You had to connect to a computer. And being Sony, it was DRM'd up the wazoo. Yeah, well. I mean, the Kindle has DRM as well, but it's very, very seamless. The user does not see it because it's all built into Amazon's um, publishing and payment platform, whereas with the Sony one, it was just horrible. It was just that typical Sony thing of 
you know, you had to log on here, you had to authorize there, you had to, there was all sorts of restrictions about what you could do. And it was just, it just wasn't very nice at all. So Amazon released the first Kindle on November 19th, 2007. It sold for uh, 400 bucks, $399 in the U.S. It was only sold in the U.S. It sold out in five and a half hours, and you couldn't buy another one uh, for five months or late April 2008. That's a long time not to have um, devices. And the device featured a six-inch, think about this, David, a six-inch diagonal four-level gray screen or gray scale e-ink display it had 250 megabytes of internal storage, uh, which could hold about 200 non-illustrated titles. It also had a speaker and headphone jack that allowed the user to listen to audio files on the Kindle. Uh, it is the only Kindle with expandable storage. Now, they're not talking about the Kindle Fire here, folks. This is just the ebook reader. Uh, so you, it had an SD card slot, so you could you know, put an SD card slot and carry even more books with you. Yeah. Um, it, it was the first generation was never sold outside the United States. That would come with the Kindle 2. Now, that launched February 10th, 2009, um, and it was still as butt ugly as the original. It had, a, it, you know, they were white. They had a keyboard. Um, the screen wasn't very good, quite honestly. Well, the, the thing about the screen, I mean, the, by modern standards, they weren't very good, but compared to an LCD screen or anything else available in, a, in a, any sort of book reader at the time, these screens were amazing. They were kind of close. They, they, certainly the contrast you got with reading a book was much, much easier than reading off, say, an iPad or something like that. Um, and you also got really, really great battery life from these devices. So um, as, as yeah, compared to a modern Kindle Paperwhite or something like that, the screens were, the screens don't, compare that well but at the time they were very good so amazon also in uh, 2009 announced the kindle dx uh it had a much larger screen uh it had an accelerometer so if you rotated it it would do it in portrait mode as well um it, it was really good the big thing that i think at the time anyways was you could read newspapers on this that's yeah. how good it was and it sold okay, but I don't think the DX was ever a, really a, a big hit. It was it was always very expensive. That was the problem. It and and as the rest of the line dropped in price, the DX remained very expensive. Yeah. Now the third generation, they finally went to a black um, for the normal size one. It wasn't white anymore, but it still had that stupid keyboard, a little yeah. rubberized keyboard, and I think. Yeah, quite honestly, I think that they thought people were still going to use it to type on. And the touchscreen stuff at this point, you got to figure this is 2010. The iPhone had been out for three years, same time that the uh, iPad was announced. And they were still sticking with the keyboard. I thought that was stupid. And I know for a fact that the third generation didn't sell as much uh, as the uh, the originals, the first couple. But the price was 139 bucks for a Wi-Fi version. If you got yeah. the Kindle 3G, it was $189. But it wasn't until the fourth generation, uh, the Kindle 4, uh, it was significantly less. It was 79 bucks with ad supported or 100, 109 bucks uh, with no ads. Did not have the, uh, I think that was only Wi-Fi. Um, but there was no keyboard. So yeah. the screen was bigger. The device was a little bit smaller. And that's when I think, for me, that's when I got my first Kindle, a Kindle 4. 
Um, and I've had most of the Kindle since I've had a, a Kindle 4, I've had a Kindle 5, I've got a 6th generation Kindle here in the house. Um, I don't think I've got a 7th generation. Well, no, I take that back. Brooke has a 7th generation Kindle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had the 1st generation Kindle Paper White, which to me, that's the perfect blend of the Kindle and what I really wanted in an ebook reader because without backlighting, you had to have a light source to read on the Kindle, which people at the time were like, well, yeah, but you got to have light source if you're going to read a book. Yeah, but I'm not reading a book. I'm reading it on the Kindle. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's bed reading that's driven the backlighting. Yes. People like to read in bed before they go to sleep, and having a built-in backlight rather than having to have the light on is an advantage if your partner does not share your enthusiasm for late-night reading, which I think... You know, a lot of couples are like that. There's, there's some normally somebody one who who either likes to stay up a bit late and the other one, or perhaps likes to read, um, and and the other one that wants to go to sleep. So, the uh, yeah, I I mean, just looking through this Wikipedia article, I mean, you can really see the steady, constant iteration down to kind of a perfect form factor for the market. Even uh, going up to the Kindle Oasis, which was launched what two years ago. Yeah. Um, that one I don't get. It's it's I think it's the it's the, it's the Kindle for people who who have throwaway money. <laughs> yeah, I mean this thing's right. three hundred bucks. Um, you can get it in three G as well for even more. It's like another eighty bucks for the three uh, the three G one. the The screen is amazing. I've actually seen one in in person. It's an amazing e ink screen. Um, almost unheard of how clear it is without being an led screen but man it's it's so expensive and the problem for the oasis is that actually the paperwhite 3 the screen is nearly as good yes i know and it's a lot cheaper (laughs) and yeah it's a third the price now i have the voyage um which is the kind of the 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 kind of the high-end version of the paperwhite right it's 300 Um, ppi yeah, it's it's it, it it's a bit cheaper now than it was. I I actually bought mine used, so I I paid round about the same as a new Paperwhite for mine, um, and it is a little bit of a nicer device than the Paperwhite, but really the Paperwhite is virtually perfect for anybody. So the you know. the Kindle is still the king when it comes to reading eBooks and. I have to be honest, uh, at the dealership where I work, we've got a really nice and a quite large uh, lounge for customer waiting for cars to get fixed and stuff. Yeah. And most people are sitting there on their phones, uh, their iPads, or Kindle. Yeah, Those are the three devices. It's a phone, it's the iPad, or it's a Kindle. Every now and then you'll see someone with a laptop. Um, and almost always a Mac, too. It's kind of different. <laughs> and it looks like the people that have the Kindle themselves, I've noticed a little bit older generations. Yeah. Um, they don't need all the bells and whistles. They don't need color. They're just readers. They're, they bought it to read and they read with it. And, and I, I've seen, it's hard to tell the difference when someone's holding it in a little distance away, which Kindle it is. But I, I'll be honest with you. I see a lot of older Kindles that people are holding and reading because you don't, if your Kindle's working fine, you don't need a new Kindle. I mean, yeah. the battery life, even on the older ones, are fantastic. You exactly. know, two or three days before you have to plug it in. 
Yeah, um, I, I see a lot them on the London Underground. Yeah, there's a lot of people who like to read while they're commuting, um, and uh, they like the Kindle because they can have lots of different books with them, um, and it's small enough that you can hold it in a very crowded carriage much more easily than a book. And they're also cheap nice. enough that if you lost it, it's not a big deal. You know, it's not the exactly. end of the world. Particularly as everything's in the cloud, so if you lose it, you log onto your Amazon account, and everything you're reading comes back. Well, that's the software aspect I did want to touch on. In that, you know, I go up to bed, I take my Kindle White with me, I'm going to read. I haven't done that in a while, but still, that's the idea. Uh, and I just leave my Kindle White in the bedroom. And, you know, once a week I bring it down, charge it up for half a day, and it's good to go. Uh, but I go to work, I'm at lunch, I fire up my iPhone 8 Plus now, and I launch the Kindle app, and I'm right where I was when I left off last night on the Kindle. Yeah. And that's the beauty in my in my mind of the Kindle ecosystem, the hardware, the software, the cloud, uh, the store. It's the synchronization that if I'm at work and I finish my book, I can buy another book right there, start reading it. And when I get home, it's already downloaded on the other Kindle and, and all my devices, my iPads, my phones, they're all there. All the, if it's not downloaded, it shows that I just touch it and it downloads in seconds because this is a text file. Um, and I launch it, and it's right where I left off. That is the beauty yeah. of what Amazon has created. And Apple has tried to do that with the iBook Store, and I, I honestly believe it's been a colossal um, failure if you compare it to the Kindle. Most people read Kindle; they do not read iBooks. Yeah, Apple is no competition for them in this. And we would, we were talking before about you, kind of the. The, the downside with the experience I had with the with the iPhone sales, uh, and and how that can promote promote you buying other products from the ecosystem. I think the Kindle is a perfect example of that. Absolutely, that there are plenty of people buying Kindle tablets and Prime accounts and all the other things that uh, Amazon sell because they love their Kindle and they want to stay yep. in the ecosystem. And more. I Amazon's also known for their customer service. If you have an issue with something that you buy on there, they will take it back and get you another one. There's no yeah. arguing. They just do it. They got great customer service, and you can't you can't beat the selection when it comes to books. If there's a book out there, you know it, you can get it on your Kindle. There's just yeah. there's no question. You can absolutely do that. The other thing as well is that you don't have to mess around with cables. I I actually have a whole load of. Um, third-party ebooks that i've bought on my kindle and to, to get them on my kindle i just send amazon an email with the books embedded and they just appear on my kindle straight away yep if, if there's a problem with the formatting of, of one of the files they email me back and say oh no we can't do this one it's not quite right and then you can go away in caliber or something like that and and fiddle Which with the format to get it to the way you want yep so you know i i've put business documents on there in the past when I've wanted to review a whole load of documents, when I'm on a train or something. Um, the advantage for me of the Kindle when looking at business documents is that uh, the screen is pretty good. And also as well, I can put the thing down on a table and make notes on a separate piece of paper. And I don't really have to worry about people looking over my shoulder, which is always a problem when I'm propping up on a tablet or a, a laptop. Absolutely. Um, you know. I think the Kindle is uh, a revolutionary product, David. I think that it's yeah. one of those things that we've completely embraced as a society at this point without really looking back and appreciating that it was only 
10 years ago that this thing was even released and how much it's changed uh, the book reading public. It's it's yeah. staggering. And I've got a feeling that the word Kindle is one of those words that's kind of like Hoover, you know, in that when people talk about an ebook reader, they will use the word Kindle. Yes. Even if it's not a Kindle, even if it's a one for somebody else. Well, more than that, if okay. someone's like, for instance, Donnie and I are still talking about this book that we want to do. And uh, his initial thought, I think, was we we're going to le- release it on iBooks because that's what he publishes for mostly. It's the tools. And to me, I never even thought about the Apple stuff because nobody, it's a ghost town. It just yeah. is. Yeah. Um, you got to release put it, it on iBooks in, unless if, unless you don't want people to read it, right? But here, <laughs> this this is this proves your point. No, we we have to release it as a Kindle. Yeah, as a Kindle. Mm. I mean, just the term now. If you're going to yeah. release an ebook, you're making a Kindle. It's it, it's a powerful statement. Yeah, I don't think Amazon really happy about that any more than. The Kleenex Corporation, whoever owns it, likes that all tissues are Kleenex. Hey, hand me a Kleenex. Well, I don't have a Kleenex. I have a Puffs. <laughs> I don't care what it is. It's Anatoly. Freaking Kleenex. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of TechFan. We uh, encourage you guys to send us feedback. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at techfanpodcast. Every show is posted at both techfanpodcast.com and mymac.com. And, uh, you know, we love to hear from you guys. Do yeah, thank, you, thanks to people who sent in suggestions for the book, actually. Oh, absolutely. We've, We've had, had a few. few. Yeah. Um, if anybody out there uses a Kindle, and I think most of you do, do you own an, an actual Kindle, uh, the physical Kindle? I'm not talking about a Kindle Fire. That's a whole different conversation. The Kindle. And let us know when you got your first Kindle. We'd love to share your stories here on the podcast. So, David, we'll see you next week. Yep. See you then. 